Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Called Podcast. Tonight, I welcome the boisterous guitar player from Dead Cross, Retox, Cunts, Kill the Capulets, The Festival of Dead Deer, and his new self-titled work, not to mention a fucking cancer survivor, Michael Crane. Mike, how are things? <laughs> Great after that intro. Wow, you, you're making me sound a lot cooler than I probably really am. Oh, come on. You're, <laughs> I, I feel like you've been, <laughs> you've been instrumental to a lot of guitar players in not only just L.A., but across North America. I don't think that you get... Wow. I, I don't think that you get really the credit that you deserve, especially for Festival of Dead Deer. What you were doing back then, it inspired a lot of bands, especially that are working today. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, fuck, that's quite an honor even for you to say that. I mean, that was um, definitely one of my favorite bands I, I was ever in or a part of or, you know, that was, that band was, was really childhood. That was me, Chris, and Dylan. And, and prior to Dylan, uh, the other Chris as well, growing up together, just playing music together and learning, really growing up on our instruments together and learning, finding our voices. That's what I wanted to say. Finding our voices on our instruments. So Does that when, make sense? Yeah, of course. When do you think that first show that you really got your voice was then? Um, Probably... Probably not until, you know, that, dude, that's tough to say. I don't, I don't really know when it happens. Something like that just happens. And you don't even realize it until someone kind of points it out. They're like, oh, shit, you guys found your sound or whatever, you know, like you, you arrive at some place that you can't quantify. I mean, some bands never do. Some people never do. And, and that's okay, too. It's just w when you start playing, you emulate your idols. You sound like your you sound like your influences. And then we were also, I don't know, I think this also uh, is a huge factor. We were really fucking poor together. And we lived in a really bad neighborhood, a really dangerous part of Los Angeles back then where we encountered uh, violence all the time. And it was dark. So in a way, I think that also influenced our, our sound and who we were musically and just everything. So that band was, was really organic, is, is my point. And I hope that made sense. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, how would you say that the, the California scene as a whole has changed since you started playing back then? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, God, I mean... Back then, it was like it was like a heyday. I think it goes in waves, you know. I was too young in the eighties for the punk stuff. Seventies, obviously, I was a, a child. But in the nineties, there was a there was um, a lot. But the indie scene was huge. The underground noise rock indie scene was, was massive. It was massive all over the United States. And I know California was probably pretty influential and all that. 
um, San Diego had its thing. And, you know, L.A. at that time, there really wasn't, like, there wasn't a lot going on for us in that way. We were kind of the odd band out. Everyone, every, I remember everyone was saying, like, oh, you really missed the, you know, you missed that scene. That already happened. That sound, that really dark, post-punk, angry thing already happened. And we were like, well, no, it didn't. <laughs> Not for us. Because this is, we're just being ourselves. And then we found our, 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 our niche. We found our, the bands. And, and then around that time is when I met Justin Pearson down in San Diego. We, our bands played together. Festival Dead Deer, played with the Crimson Curse. And I mean, this was obviously like, you know, this was pre-internet. This was pre-everything. You know, you actually had to go out and meet people and go to record stores and go to shows and hand out flyers and get flyers and all that kind of stuff. So once I met Justin, we met Justin, we realized, we're like, oh, my God, there's this this huge other scene of this style of music, of this dark, pissed-off, angular, you know, post-punk vibe and so that was we were we were so happy because honestly like we were really fucking lonely we there wasn't a lot of bands for us to play with back then we did towards the end we did find a few that were artsy and you know what it really reminded me and chris of was like like our version of uh New York 1979 or the late 70s with the whole no wave thing like that was kind of where what we were sliding into and we were really stoked on it and and yeah and then for, well, for Festival of the Idea it all imploded horribly and that was uh, because of heroin <laughs> to put it bluntly what were some of your favorite venues to play back then I'm curious about the sound I've had uh, Kira Rossler from Black Flag on. She was talking about how great certain places sounded. I'm curious, where was your favorite place and where got the sound right for you guys in in all of your bands? Oh, in all my bands? Fuck. Uh, um, I mean, that's that's a wide, that's a, that's a pretty big time frame. Venues don't always last that long. Hmm. I mean, it, de- it depends on the size of the room, you know, because there's... DIY venues that, that just have the energy and then there's bigger rooms that actually do have like a good sound system and and then there's the even larger rooms you know where you bring your sound engineer or you might have a crew or something and it's a totally different scale of of show but I would say god that's a tough one let me think about that a second God, I, dude, I don't know. I've had good nights and bad nights fucking everywhere. <laughs> you know, you know, like down in San Diego, the Casbah is always, always fucking killer. That place sounds so great. It's such a small room, and it's the energy's always really good there. In L.A., we've always, the Echo was always kind of like home base, you know? The Echo and the smell for all ages shows... Although the the sound and the smell can not be that rad, kind of a big a big room. It, it's a tall room. The ceiling's really high, and 
the sound bounces everywhere pretty bad, but energy-wise, it's always fucking amazing. What else? So the echo, the smell, Casbah. Fuck, man, I don't know. Well, you got me. I've, I mean, I've, play, I've played the Whiskey and the Roxy and those Hollywood strip kind of places, but those weren't really my jam, you know, although the sound was good. The wheel turn. Would you say that after you met Justin that San Diego started to feel more like a home crowd to you? Or do you still feel more like you're at home when you're playing to an L.A. crowd? I personally feel better in L.A. because it's home. Um, but, yeah, San Diego is always warm and welcoming. and I mean, I've had good and bad shows everywhere. You know, that just happens. But for me personally, it's Los Angeles is home. Well, I want to take you way back now. You've said everything can stem uh-huh. back. You've said everything can stem back to Kiss and hearing them when you were six. Were you seeking them out, or did someone buy you that album off off the get go? I think um, that album. I don't know who if that was mine or my uncle's, but with Kiss, I think anyone in my age range, Kiss, it was the imagery. You're just so blown away by how they fucking looked. Like your little, your your childlike brain can't comprehend what's happening, and and you're hooked. And I've heard uh, younger, well, younger than me, people say, "Oh, they felt the same way when they saw Marilyn Manson or their brother's Marilyn Manson record or Slipknot or whatever." Mm-hmm. But when I was a little kid, and I was really, I was like five, four or five years old when I saw that kid alive, they're dressed to kill, all of those. Um, but as soon as I saw it, and then I, I heard it, I was like, oh, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening, but this is so cool. Um, and I also, there's always those moments, you know, in your lifetime, like in your on your arc of life where things change, pivotal moments. And another one was also hearing um, Rock the Casbah from The Clash, or seeing that video, rather, when MTV had... Uh, MTV was still really new, I know that. But I remember seeing that video and just... The song is so fucking good and so catchy. And they look so fucking cool. I mean, that is rock and roll to me. Like, there is a look that goes with it. I feel that's equally as important. Well, it's funny that you mention MTV, because it's their birthday today. How much of an impact did they have on you growing up, finding new music? Oh, a lot back then. Because, again, that was was pre-internet. That was pre-anything. MTV was, um, was... I mean, more than just, like, regular MTV was um, Headbangers Ball and 120 Minutes. Those shows were, those were the shit. Because they would play fucking rad punk stuff. X and The Cure and Bauhaus and shit like that, you know. I was just like, whoa, what is this, you know. Yeah, I would say, like, 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball were definitely influential. Well, how much of an impact did your father have on the artist that you would become? Would you say that he was one of the most important figures to showing you new music at that time? Or were you trying to actively search it out yourself? He was always in bands, so I was exposed to it. Uh, the band life and roadieing and 
gigs and all that and rehearsals and band drama. So I was accustomed to the band life immediately, like right as soon as I was, as soon as I could comprehend it. And, um, but musically, not so much. Um, I did love a lot. I still do love a lot of the stuff he listened to back then, like Steely Dan and Foreigner and, um, <laughs> Lover Boy and shit like that. Like, I don't <laughs> care. Good song's a good song. Deep Purple, Rainbow, Mop the Hoople, ZZ Top, all that stuff. Uh, Robin Trower is a big, big one. How did After School Special come to be, and what kind of cachet did that have being in school? We were not in school. That was like our first band. That was like our first. Let's let's do this and play shows. I won't, you know. And uh, we were just kids. You know what I mean? That was like your first. That was a first band type deal where I think everyone was influenced by different things. It sounded. The overall sound was just, you know, like a shitty punk band that didn't know how to play. But out of that band, you know, some important relationships were formed with me, Chris, and Dylan. Who Chris and Dylan were both in that band with me. What were some of the most important live shows that you attended in your youth that helped shape who you would become? Oh, wow. My first show, um, so when I was 12 years old... My dad took me and my my schoolmate to see Judas Priest and Dokken at the LA Sports Arena <clears throat> on the uh, Turbo Turbo Lover Tour, Judas Priest Turbo Lover Tour. And I think that same tour that uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot um, takes place on. This, every, everyone who knows, everyone who knows knows. fantastic documentary for anybody that doesn't know oh my god it's incredible and it's only 20 minutes long but um so yeah Judas Priest and and that shit blew my fucking mind Rob Halford you know I mean Judas Priest was fucking phenomenal live you know like that anyone has ever seen them especially back then the early 80s, that was 85, maybe, I want to say, um, 86. Anyhow, that blew my mind. And then later when I started to, you know, kind of figure things out on my own, I saw the cows. And I was really, really fucking stoned. It was my first time, time seeing them. And they had a lot of hype around them, a lot of drama around them. So they were like, and you know what? That kind of shit is important in rock and roll. I feel like sometimes like there should be rock and roll shouldn't be safe and bands should be scary and shows should be scary. Like I, all of that, I feel like all of that plays into the whole mystique and, and romanticism of rock and roll, quote unquote rock and roll. But anyways, we saw the cows and they were so fucking good live. I had never seen anything like that. They blew my mind. Shortly thereafter, there was a, bef- yeah, around that time, uh, Chris Tathwell and I, and Chris Hafner, started going to a place called Jabberjaw, which was LA's underground, you know, off kilter DIY weirdo venue. And um, 
I would, dude, nine out of eight out of ten shows I saw there had some kind of life changing value to them at that place. They, because they had so many different kinds of bands and just from, it was just a world that I, I hadn't really been exposed to yet. The whole, at that time, the whole Olympia scene was really big. Kill rock stars and, and the biggest band around at that time was Unwound. And they were huge game changers for all of us. They're, that was like our Led Zeppelin almost in a way. So I was seeing Unwound there, really blew my mind. I remember seeing Steel Pole Bass up there once, that blew my fucking mind. Uh, I remember seeing, there was a band out of San Diego called Click Attack Itali that was really fucking phenomenal live. Uh, Jesus Lizard blew my mind. Shellac. I think I saw The Laughing Hyenas, I don't remember. <laughs> I was pretty loaded for a lot of shows. I don't remember all of them full well. God, you have to give up. Get back to me on that. I can't think right now. You know, there's so many. I'll, I'll switch a little bit then. When you started playing with Justin Pearson, were you guys talking yes. about collaboration back when you were playing shows alongside both of your bands? Or did this not come till way later? No, this didn't come till way later. Because I had, um, once Festival Dead Deer imploded, you know, I became uh, a junkie for a really long time. And, was completely unable to hold a band together or any relationships for that matter. So it wasn't until later in life when I got straight and we became, you know, became friends again that he and Gabe and I, well, really Gabe and him had the idea of doing retox and Gabe came up with that name too. And that's when, so yeah, that was like, geez, 2011 maybe, I want to say. Somewhere in there, so yeah, it was a, it was a time later for sure. Did Retox feel like a new chapter in your career, getting to th- getting thrown into bigger venues and traveling more, or do you feel like it came? Oh, with absolutely. Same, or or do you feel like it was the same sort of reaction that your bands have always come across? No, no, that was definitely new for me. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Justin and Gabe had great success with the Locust and. Edwin City, and the list goes on, you know, those guys were already so fucking accomplished. You know, I had, I had like the Festival of Dead Deer, and, and I had like cult status, but never any, I didn't have my life together enough to tour, or or to, to achieve any longevity for that matter, you know? So yeah, getting, being in a band with those guys, I definitely got to do things I wasn't able to do in the past. What would you say the best tour for Retox was for you? Mm. Fuck, that's a good question. Um, God, let me think about that for a second. Um, uh, we did a tour with Tomahawk that was really fucking cool. It was a, it was a short one. We did a tour with Dillinger Escape Plan and Trash Talk. That was pretty, really fucking fun. Um, fuck. <laughs> you got me. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> we did so many. Dude, we did. I, I feel like we just, we toured a lot. I, I can't even remember. I think the first time that I ever actually finally got to see you play live was on that Dillinger Escape Plan tour. 
at the Republic in Calgary. And it was it was funny because because oh, yeah. I was I was a, I was a fan of Justin's and, and Dillinger, of course. But then I was like, oh, yeah. wow, the, the guitar player for Festival of Dead Deer is on this band, too. And I, I feel like you guys might have blown me away even more than Trash Talk did. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, Trash Talk is a fucking great, great, powerful band. Um, I, I remember that venue. We played there with the Melvins, too. Yes. If I I'm was, not mistaken, another time, the, the, right? That was Melvin's Light, which, yes, I also saw you guys on. <laughs> Melvin's Light. Yeah. But going, yeah, what a weird little venue. Oh, it's it, it's sad that it's no longer there. That was that was the, oh, it's not? that was the heart and soul of this city, and it is gone now. And it really is just not the same when you come here anymore. Oh no, shit! Yeah. What uh, what re- what re- what replaced it? What size room? What what? It's it is, where is it? it is now a brewery, and uh, and anything that used to play there pretty much gets spread out to places that honestly should never hold live music. So it's it's kind of shitty that it's gone. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I hope that COVID shuts down a lot of places and everybody can kind of start. Everybody can like start from the ground floor again and start building some new shit back up is what I'm hoping for. You're not the first person to say this. Yes. I think in a lot of cities, man, COVID... COVID's going to be the end up being the great fucking equalizer somehow. I don't know. It's, it's really weird. I'm seeing a lot of places close. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's good, man, because it's... Well, we'll get into that later, I'm sure, but it's pretty fucking gnarly, to say the least. Well, speaking of COVID, have you been writing a lot during this quarantine? That's all I've been doing is been writing and recording in my studio other bands uh my bands i have another new band that i'm really excited about called cowards and when we we're gonna do some releases just some singles coming up i'll um i'll make sure to get it over to you yeah of course well what can we expect from cowards it sounds like the sound wise yeah it sounds like the birthday party fuck yeah <laughs> yeah that was the goal that was like we wanted to play a lot less more space more like just driving bass lines and, and rhythmic drum beats and minimal guitar work and um noisy it's a lot more noisy have, have, yeah. you, have you noticed that the older that you get the more that you really are going to the less is more Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. It's it's harder to do, man. It's fucking really hard to play less and say less and make it count. That, I mean, I think any songwriter or composer or arranger would agree. It's, it's, uh, it's tricky. I had Justin Pearson on here a few weeks ago, and he said to expect much better things from the next Dead Cross album. Which I think is crazy. Yeah. That album, the, your guys' first self-titled, is one of my favorite albums of the new millennium. So what are your feelings on this wow. new album, and what can we expect from it? Well, let me see. How does it sound? It sounds... I mean, elements of it sound like the first one, obviously. It's still us, but way more was put into those songs. 
a lot more, a lot more fucking time and energy and work. <laughs> that I can say for sure. And um, Patton's killing it, dude. He's um, he's working on the vocals right now, so he's been sending vocal stuff to to, to us, and it sounds so dope. Okay. So dope. Can we expect a lot more experimentation this time around? Yeah, some of it sounds like fucking Adam Ant. Nice. Some of it sounds, yeah, yeah. You'll hear it. You'll. It's it's pretty well underway, man. I mean, all the music's done. Patton's just Patton's putting his magic on it. You know. I'm I'm always excited for a new Mike Patton release. I'm always excited for a new Michael Crane release. New Justin Pierce oh, release man. and Lombardo yeah. release. So it's always great right? to hear that there's anything new Dead Cross coming. Yeah, man. It's, um, I'm fucking stoked on it. I really am. And I saw Dead Cross in one of its first shows with Gabe singing at uh, Sled Island up here. And again with Patton. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about that. And again with Patton behind the mic. Do you like the direction the band took when Patton joined? And what were some of the things sonically that you were most excited to try out in this band? Oh, man. In the very beginning, I was just fucking stoked to be playing with Dave Lombardo. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> like when it, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, dude, I'm playing with one of my, my, my all-time influences and, and drum idols, you know? Like, I had grown up playing Slayer, or, or playing that style of music, listening to Slayer, I, and then I hadn't played that style in a long time. But then when I started jamming with Dave, it felt so natural. I was like, "Fucking hey, I can riff with this dude!" Like, like it's so effortless with him. You know, he's his natural groove and swing is second to none. Yeah, he. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he, it's it's so it's so killer to watch Dave turn it on. You know what I'm talking about? Like when he, I feel like he, he almost has like such a jazz thing to him. You could almost give him anything, and he could just he could play it to perfection. Yeah, well, it's a, it's that Latin swing, like that behind the beat. Those fills are just fucking. Oh my god, they're ridiculous. You know, like metal did not know what hit it. <laughs> when when Slay, when Slayer took off, that's but so true. Anyhow, yeah, yeah. So so with Gabe, yeah, it was definitely like we were thinking more. We wanted to probably like travel in a more Napalm Death esque direction or a Dicroizen. Um, I don't know, just like old school thrash or something. We were thinking, but then when Patton stepped in, I mean he. His musicality is so unparalleled. He added a, a dimension to those songs that I never would have known existed. Like, he he can do with his voice what I wish I could do with my guitar. It's it's truly something fucking special. Like, even even when, when uh, you guys covered Gigi Allen at Riot Fest, just, like, the new... The, the new fucking things that Patton added to that song. It's just like you are truly a god among singers. He is he is one of the, he is one of the greatest singers of all time. I, I stick by it. I would have to agree with you, man. 
on it, and I think a lot of people would. There's no, I don't even think that's arguable. You know, he he definitely his instrument is 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 insane. It's just what he does. I mean, there's been times, you know, like on stage where we're playing and he'll do something just something spontaneous and. And I'm like, what the fuck is that noise? And I'm looking around. I'm like, is that me? Am I feeding back? Is there... <laughs> and it's him. <laughs> it's him with his voice. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. This guy is nuts. This guy is a freak. I, I have to ask. You were you were the guy behind that Gigi Allen cover, weren't you? Or or was it like... No, a, no. It was a collective? No. No, I think that was, that was Patton. And uh, I think we all just were talking about Gigi on tour. Justin was always a huge Gigi fan, and he brought it up. And Patton's like, "Fuck yeah, let's do it!" You know, Patton ain't afraid of shit. You know, that guy is fearless. He does not give a fuck. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think maybe those two spawned the idea. Well, you've had some great guests jump on stage in Dead Cross, like Jello Biafra. But I heard you uh-huh. were supposed to have Danzig at Riot Fest. What happened there, and why did this not come to fruition? He flaked. He flaked. That's all that happened. I don't know. He just, he had a rough night or something and wasn't feeling good. <laughs> you, you know, whatever, Danzig. <laughs> it's, well, it, 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 it is typical Danzig. Yeah, well, it was that night. <laughs> and so, yeah, we were going to, what song were we going to do? We were going to do, oh, we were going to, we were going to do Bella Lugosi's Dead. Nice. Dancing, nice. Which would have been so epic. That would have been great. Well, on that stage... Oh, and on- then another one that nobody knows about is the night we played the El Rey in Los Angeles. We were supposed to play two nights. And the first night, Patton had a, an accident skating and fucked his face up <laughs> last minute. And Mike Muir was supposed to come out and we were going to do... Um, I shot... What is that? I shot Reagan. I shot Pope. I shot the devil. That song. Yeah, it's, just, it's, that it's song. just I shot Reagan. Yeah. I shot Reagan. Okay, yeah. But that would have been fun too. But yeah, that would have been awesome. Well, speaking of yeah. incidents on that tour, there was that little incident with the police on the on the big deck. Oh my god! Can you take us through uh, that? <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to yet. Oh really? Still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's continue. You know what? When the new record comes out, we'll do another podcast. Oh, I'm and, I'm 100. And I'll and I'll tell all. Fuck but yeah! I can't yet. Fuck yeah! Let's I can't it. tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm not I'm not allowed. What do you make of what's happening in the streets right now when it comes to police brutality? I mean, dude, it's pretty gnarly. I don't know, man. It's it's touchy because. We still need law enforcement in this country. We do not need, what we don't need are thugs with badges and guns. That we do not need. Uh, And and what we really, really don't fucking need are racists with guns and badges. It's the worst possible thing. But that being said, we need to we need to do something. Something needs to happen, which it is. I mean, it is happening. 
So, this has been a long time coming. So, so do you see real change coming from this current movement? I don't know. I hope so. I have to ask, do you think that we're doing enough to get this guy out of the White House? No. <laughs> I mean, this motherfucker needs to be gone yesterday. This is, <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is the most embarrassing, disgusting... Uh, I, I can't even get started on this. This guy just fucking sucks. Just a racist... He embodies everything bad. He just embodies all that's bad in this country. It's him. He is that guy. Rich, Republican, backstabbing, lying, dishonest, misogynist, racist, scumbag. He's all of it. He, he really is. I mean, all he did in his life was rip off fucking, rip people off to get ahead and lie and cheat and like oh my god and then these fucking people put him in office like I oh yeah yeah I don't even know I wish there was more we could do I, I when all this was was kicking off and I mean again man I don't know like we're still in it this the final chapter hasn't been written yet like I I think it's wonder, far from being written Right? Like, I wonder if he is going to be the first sitting president of the United States that has to forcibly be fucking removed. Like, I wouldn't doubt it. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. I think it is. I think it's a real possibility. He is driving this fucking... I mean, granted, the country is broke. It was founded upon horrible ideals and and everything. I mean, it's it's a country... um, Okay, I'm not going to go too deep, but we're we're headed straight to hell. Honestly, like this, the privatization and the the undoing of everything that protected the environment, and that protected anything good. Uh, I don't even want to get started. You know what I mean? I can't. Okay, well, living under this, I'm just going to say it, the most divisive president of all time. Why do you feel like artists are not stepping up to the plate in the way that they did against Nixon, against Reagan, against Bush? Why are we not getting that rage that we once had in art and film and everything? It's, it's happening a little bit. I just don't know that it's happening to the extent that we maybe need it right now. Well, I think COVID put a fucking end, put a halt on that, or else we would be. We were. We were starting to see, I mean, Dead Cross, we got really, we we got really fucking political, you know? Mm -hmm. We got a lot of backlash from it. Like, we were talking, thank you, we were talking shit. We were trying to stir it up. And then, and I'm sure a lot of other people were too, but we can't have fucking shows. We can't even be together now, you know? It's like, yeah, we can still do it online and in our recordings. Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. There could be more said and done, and I'm sure there will be. But again, like, not only are we dealing with fucking fuck-based Trump, we're dealing with a, a pandemic and, a, and a, about to... Um, 
another fucking economic depression and, and, and a possible full-scale economic collapse. Like, there's a lot going on right now. And, and another civil rights movement, you know? Like, there is a lot happening. So, just musicians and artists getting pissed at the government and the current regime you know, is uh, it's just one thing happening right now, and it's and it and it might not be the most important thing happening right now. You know, I I I think um, the Black Lives Matter movement should probably be number one. That and uh, the pandemic, <laughs> that's gonna, you know, those are some pretty. Those are some pretty serious fucking things that need to be addressed. Moving back into music for a moment, Kill the Capulets and the Stranger album is such a blistering 30 minutes and could be said as a band that might be looked back upon in the same way that we're looking back upon bands like Drive Like Jehu now. Was whoa, that... whoa. Wait, did you just put... Are we, are we talking about Kill the Capulets? Yes. And... You put us in the same sentence as Drive Like Jehu? Yes. <laughs> Dude, I don't know about that, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the compliment. But come on, Drive Like Jehu is fucking, that's holy. Like, that shit is. And I feel like a lot of kids right now are starting to realize that Kill the Capulets is some holy shit as well. But who? I haven't met them. I, really? I, I, I honestly, I have some, <laughs> I got some young friends. They like, they love that band, man. And it, I think that if the momentum was there, it could be, it could be looked upon as a band like Drive Like Jay, who is now. Is that the direction that you wanted the band to take her? And would you go back to that sound again? Oh, with the dual, uh, uh the, a lot of the noisy dual guitar stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that kind of shit. There's a lot of that in Cowards. It's me and Matt Cronk both playing guitar. But, dude, we were nowhere near, not even in the same fucking le- ballpark, le- let alone, like, sport is, in my opinion, is <laughs> drive like Jehu. I'm going to have to humbly disagree on this one, but... Fuck, man, I wish I could play guitar as good as Rick or fucking John. Those guys are like, those guys are like fucking guitar gods. And I look at you as a guitar god as well, man. So. Wow. Thank you. I mean, that's, I really, really appreciate that. I, I think I suck myself. All I do is just, all I do is just try to, try to say what I'm thinking or feeling with my fingers. You know what I mean? I just try to. I don't know, it's, I just, I just try to make shit sound okay, just try to make shit sound cool. It sounds, <laughs> it's, it sounds more than okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Fuck, thank you, that's, that's a huge compliment, I appreciate that. Well, and now your new solo stuff feels like a culmination yeah. of your inc- entire career so far. Playing around with rock influences and even R&B which I think comes from your mom's influence. I'm not sure on that. But did you want this project to be an all-encompassing project, or did it kind of just end up that way? God, 
that. That's a good question. So I've always, I, if I'm being honest, like I listen to more Motown, R&B, funk, soul than I do any other kind of music. Really, more more than rock for sure. Hip hop. Um, I really love that. I I my mom always listened to disco and Diana and um, and and a lot of Motown stuff. So that shit really got into me really young. And um, I love playing bass, that style of music. Uh, I, I did play the bass and all my solo stuff, which I have another new one coming out, another new song. But I really love that. That's, that's like my, one of my favorite things is, is to try to emulate those guys. Um, the different motet that I think it was the same band mostly, um, and they just kind of changed the sound up for each artist, whether it be Smokey or the Supremes. But um, that that groove, really, like that's really all it is to me. It's all about it's all about that groove. If you can nod your head to it or move your body to it, that's it. That's that is it to me. And you know who a, a newer artist I really fucking dig is Toro Ivoire. Do you know that guy? Fucking awesome. The, the, the beats, Holy shit. The, the beats that that guy is getting is just like some of the catchiest, like, just move your ass. To, it's fucking awesome. It's cool shit. Yeah. That, like him and... um obviously childish gambino like all that stuff i'm just fucking blown away by so like there's like i i mean I'm, I'm not even i'm not again i'm not even in the same fucking i'm nowhere near the skill level of, of guys like that or the talent honestly like they're just huge influences on me I just, I love that stuff so much. They're, they're my favorite right now. One of my all-time biggest influences is The Cure. So I really love that, just just that simple, you, you know, <clears throat> with a with a, a driving, simple bass line mm-hmm. and, and guitar, like, painted over it. Just really simple and clean and flowing. Like I love music that flows. And um, Buzz and I talk about this all the time too. Like ZZ Top, early ZZ Top. Like those songs just fucking flow. The hooks are so gnarly. Like the way the vocals just swim. The vocals are like a boat. Like just perfectly flowing over the over the music, or um, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, of course. I think it'd be sweet to hear you and Buzz do like a Motown cover album. That would be fucking cool. <laughs> Here, let me text him right now. <laughs> That's a fucking genius idea. You can even get Trevor Dunn to do stand up bass, and then you fucking you, you've got a band right there, dude. Let's do really. I mean, we need Pat to sing that shit, oh. man, because he's the only one who can, 
Oh, fuck, that would be amazing. He could just bring his Mondo Kane into this. Fucking awesome. Yeah. All right, let's do a Motown. All right, just text him. We'll see what he says. He'll probably just go, uh, he'll probably just go, ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of your other new shit, cunts, this album is something yeah. else. You're forging a new path with your inspirations from bands like the Jesus Lizard, Oxbow and Cows, and elements of Retox and Dead Cross are in there, but it's unique to all of those. How much can we expect from them whenever the world decides to open up, and what were some of your goals for the sound of that band? Cunts? I don't even know, man. That just happened. We're just, we're all homies, and we were all just on a funny text thread together, and Keith was like... We should just start a fucking band. And I was like, oh my God, let's do it. And I was like, I have a drummer. And I'm like, Kevin, do you want to play drums? He's like, okay. <laughs> and that was literally, that was it. That was it. Was I'm, not even, I'm not even exaggerating. How, how, quick, how quickly <laughs> was the recording on that? Uh, that took a little while to get that sound. It took some time. I'm, I'm pr- sonically, that record is... is uh, that was it. That was that was the first record I ever produced uh, and, and did a lot of stuff on. But really, it was because of um, Jim Goodwin, a.k.a. Pseudo Beast. Oh, my God. Buzz just said, cool, which stuff? <laughs> Holy shit, you might have just started a new band. Oh, I, I would be honored to hear this shit. <laughs> Smokey. Let's see. Smokey. You got to have a ton of temptations. Smokey. Temptations. Here, wait. Dude, that would be so much fucking fun. Oh, my God. If, if you got Patton, hearing him cover Diana Ross, that would be golden. Dude. Holy shit. That would be so incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I am diehard uh, Motown. I, I'm, I think I'm going to listen to some of that stuff tonight, actually. You just reminded me of it. When you look back at like a record company like Sun Records, yeah, why are they not getting the kind of documentary that that other band that, that other um sorry labels are getting nowadays? When they are more influential than anything else. Sun, really? You don't you don't think they get the the attention that they deserve I, I feel like no, they do but I, I think that they get the attention that they deserve but when we have things like and this is not to diss Tom or Amphetamine Reptile Records he's, he's a guest of the show friend of the show and I love Amphetamine Reptile but when you have like a label like that getting a, a three hour documentary and you don't really have like a proper Sun Records documentary I think that's a little crazy why aren't we seeing more things is, like is that is there not Oh wow! I thought. Well, maybe. I I, I have the box box set and stuff. Maybe I'm thinking of that. I think I think that there was one produced for PBS a long time ago, but it wasn't like in the way that the color of noise was. Mm. I don't know, man. That's a good question. Shit. Maybe you should spearhead that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good idea. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, Factory Records definitely has gotten all the attention it deserves, huh? Because of probably more than anything because of New Order. Um, Who else? But you know what? AMREP was fucking huge. AMREP is huge. I'm not not dissing AMREP. I'm not dissing AMREP. They spawned so much. 
I mean, fuck, man, there is so many. Like, even 31G, Justin's put out some goddamn important music over the years, Justin you know? It's it's more yeah. just like why are we getting documentaries out the ass? <laughs> I just I just want to. We see probably more. will. Uh, yeah. At some point. I I hope that we do. I really hope that we do. I just want to say how happy we all are that you beat the shit out of cancer. Were you surprised at the response yeah. of fans when you announced? Yeah. And the outpouring of their support. Dude, dude, that blew my fucking mind. I mean, I was. That shit. I have been through hell already in my life, but nothing could have prepared me for cancer. Cancer treatments were, that was the worst. I had no idea how brutal that shit was going to be. I mean, I definitely, uh, that was a close one. Like the treatments I felt were going to kill me, you know? But I would, the fans, yes. Jesus, that was like, it fucking blew my mind. And when we did the GoFundMe, the funny, like, the, the part of, the amazing part about that was the amount of money I got, like, quite literally, was exactly what I needed. The amount I needed for everything, to pay all my bills, mortgage, uh, uh, treatments, Everything like down to like a hundred dollars is so fucking surreal, you know. Like the universe clearly steps in. I'm I'm and, I'm actually just so grateful that everything worked out. Yeah, man. Like I, if, if there's anything I can do for you know, like the least I can do, whatever skill set I have or whatever ears I have is is just to keep putting out music for people. That, that hopefully they enjoy, you know. I don't want to put out garbage that people would be like, oh, what the fuck is this shit? But if I can just bring any kind of joy to anybody that way, you know, mm-hmm. then that's, then I feel like that's my job and I'll, I'll keep doing that as, as, as long as I can, you know? Well, finally, what else can we expect from you coming up? Shit, I think we already covered it all. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot. There's how much how much more new uh solo stuff are you gonna start dropping? I'm just chipping away at like I have I had those songs some of those songs I still have so many songs written from over the years that I just just never did anything with, you know, and just keep moving. Other stuff comes up, but I do have one that's finished another just another single and that's coming out i wanted to do a video for it but the song is done so that'll be really really soon um are are you gonna compile all these singles into an album when it's done or or do you just want this to be like a singles project nah just just singles i i have i have enough material for another album still I, I still have to record, but <laughs> I do have it. But yes, there's plenty to come. So I just, yeah, I just want to say thank you and for all the kind words and listening and everything. Well, I just want to say thank you because I don't feel like you understand the influence that you have on a lot of people. And I hope even more people listen to this and go check out all of your stuff. It's truly some some of the most original guitar playing. It's it's some cool ass shit. 
everybody should go check it out. And I know, oh. and I know, a lot of people listening to this show are incredibly excited for that new Dead Cross album. So yeah, yeah, hell yeah! Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Michael Crane's new solo work over on Bandcamp, the new Cunt self-titled album, and stay tuned for the upcoming Dead Cross album. This concludes our broadcast day. (laughs) 